0: Hello there, Um, my name's Alex Milway, and I'm here to interview Justin Richards, author of The Parliament of Blood. Um, It's your second book in a kind of series based around the Department of Unclassified Artifacts in the British Museum. Um, That's my favourite museum in London and first of all I have to ask if
1: such a department exists. Oh, well it'd be nice to think it did. (laughs) Uh, If I I say yes, um, then no one will ever know if I'm right or wrong. (laughs) If I say no, that seems a bit of a shame. So yeah, I'm sure there's such a department. There must be somewhere where they they store all the bits and pieces that uh, that no one's supposed to know about. Brilliant. Um, maybe just to give an introduction as to what the book's about. Obviously, that's based around the uh,
0: department of unclassified artifacts.
1: Yes, the the department is where they, where as I say, where they keep all these things that shouldn't exist, like the like the skin of a werewolf, or the tooth of a vampire, or bits of bits of that spaceship that crashed in uh, 17th century Italy. <laughs> uh, so they're all stored away in big boxes in the um, in a huge vault underneath the great court of the, of the British Museum and nobody knows about it <laughs> until now and uh, the book is set in, in Victorian times in the 1880s and uh, and there's some some vampires involved and as you say it's the it's the second book with uh, that revolves around the department and the people who, who work there or, or who are associated with it um, having said that I, I hesitate to call it a sequel uh, and it's not really part of a series because you can read the first book, *The Death Collector*, and and not need to find out what happens afterwards if you don't want to. And equally, you can read *The Parliament of Blood* without ever having heard of *The Death Collector*. They're, they're I hope, independent of each other. I've and just read the second one, so it, yeah, it works absolutely good. like yeah. that. So <laughs> it's testament to the fact that they yeah. wrote absolutely. And in fact, when I wrote the first one, it didn't. Um, <clears throat> I didn't. I didn't have a second story in mind. I knew. Uh, whenever I write a book it, it's always nice to think I might come back and explore those characters or all that situation some more but I didn't know that I would for death right. Um I like to leave books as, so that they're, they're not closed off completely so that when you get to the end of The Death Collector uh, you feel that the, the people who have met during the book will carry on and have a have a life and a, a continuing relationship afterwards uh, maybe there's a story to be told there uh, and whether or not I ever get round to telling it is is then a sort of secondary consideration, so okay. so i was I was glad to get back to them
0: okay so we 've already mentioned the vampires, but um especially if you look at the cover, it would be no surprise to say that it 's very 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 much about vampires. Um, do this require you to do a lot of vampire research, and if so, where do you go to swat up
1: <laughs> yeah there is um there 's Two kinds of research, really, that you can you can do as a writer, or certainly for this book. One is one is real research into things like um, Victorian photography and what the British Museum looked like in 1886, and and the other is is research into fictional stuff like uh, like vampires. And and vampires are interesting. There's all this baggage that comes with them, the whole vampire lore, and so um, and and all the different authors and books and TV and film have a slightly different take on what a vampire is and how you can kill them and what their weaknesses are and so on so so yes I did quite a lot of work of uh, assimilating all that and then deciding what my vampires were like which bits I keep and which I'd lose and um, as you'll know from having read the book I I cheat in that uh, (laughs) there's this sort of backstory that the vampires themselves are putting about rumors about vampires so that people don't know what's true and what isn't, and uh, and it's a smokescreen to disguise their existence. That everybody thinks they're just fictional creatures. Yes, so, nice ruse. So it, it means that I can get away with them saying, actually, you know, everybody believes this about vampires, but it's not true. Um, <laughs> and inventing new stuff myself that uh, that they've been suppressing.
0: Yeah, there was something on to us actually about was how many rules did you actually bend, and are there any you want to divulge? Or the, the... I'm
1: I'm not sure. I did I did different things with um, them. There are some things that just seem to me to be a bit ridiculous, like the idea that a vampire. The fully grown adult vampire can turn into a bat, yes, and, and that stretches uh, credulity a little. Um, if you can talk about that when you're talking in the same breath as talking about uh, <laughs> well, that's quite a nice way you use the bats in a different way, don't you? In,
0: in, in, as well, I mean, not to reveal anything, but the bats yes, are in. the but book,
1: bats, are, bats, and vampires are inextricably linked now, and um, so I needed bats in there. But I, I thought, well, I'm, I can't have vampires turning into bats. There has to be some other reason why there's a um, some synergy between the two so it was interesting thinking about that um the the other one which i i sort of it, it's quite nice thinking of ways of trying to rationalize things as well and uh, once i decided that um it's all to do with blood and oxygen our uh, vampire survives so they have this very oxygen rich blood that they need and that's why they have to keep sort of topping up um and you can you can rationalize why um Romanian peasants head for the mountains when the vampires are about because the air's thinner up there so the vampires can't cope and they're, they're much more prone to asphyxiation and, and therefore drowning which is why they avoid running water and that sort of thing. Uh, the, the daylight issue I sort of ducked a bit. Um, the, the other one I had fun playing with and was really the starting point for the, for the whole thing was thinking about photography. I thought if a, if a vampire doesn't show up in a mirror is that because silver, which is a magical metal and has these strange properties that uh, <laughs> that I never explain, <laughs> um, but, but we all know about you kill werewolves with silver bullets and vampires don't sharpen mirrors and so on? Then, um, how, how does that work with photography, which at the time when it started was a, a process that's based on the use of silver? Mm-hmm. And, and do vampires sharpen photographs? And the answer is no, they don't. <laughs> right? so, um, a lot of these stories where you 've got monsters from the dawn of time or whatever, you have to have some reason why they're they 're getting a bit shirty just at the moment <laughs> rather than a thousand years ago or last week and um, so uh, another reason as well as tying in with the death collector to set it in Victorian times was this is you 're getting to a point where people who are prominent in society, certainly and eventually everybody, could no longer avoid having their photograph taken. And if you're somebody who doesn't show up in photographs and that's a bit of a giveaway, then, you know, now is the time that you have to take some action (laughs) or you're going to get rumbled. So that was it was nice to have that. That's a great great. justification for the story actually happening.
0: So your Victorian World of Vampires is much more in keeping with Bram Stoker's Dracula than, say, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, What do you think of the quite
1: glamorous world of modern day vampires? I, it's a strange one, isn't it? I think part of the appeal of the vampire is it's not that bad. <laughs> you get to live forever and okay, you have to knock off a few <laughs> people and, and drink their blood. That was a vampire outside of it. It's being drilled into with a steak gun. Um Yeah, and there's there's something sort of quite um quite enticing about that. I suppose yeah, yeah. if you're not careful. <laughs> you know, it's if anybody suffers it's it's other people, which is uh, which is always nice. Uh, That's true. so but um yeah, vampires in the modern day, I don't know. These, these things, vampires, and, um, and ghosts, and, and things that stretch the imagination a little bit like that. There's a, I think it's harder to persuade people that they exist now uh, than to persuade people that they might have existed 100, or 150 years ago. I think we're more willing to believe that yeah, in time gone by when the world was different. Uh, not that different, but but quite different. Then then maybe just maybe there were vampires, and it, it might actually have happened. Um, I like although I write, I suppose, uh, fantasy or science fiction or a blend of the two. I, I like to write it as if it's real. It's very much based in history, isn't it? You know, with all of your yes. historical characters that interweave yeah. throughout the plot. So I mean, yeah, and it's and, and it can be quite difficult to work <laughs> to decide which bits you're doing. Uh, you ought to play. Uh, according to history, and um, which bits you make up. So, um, without giving too much away, the the prime minister turns up <laughs> in the book, Gladstone. And do I invent a prime minister, or do I actually use Gladstone, who who was prime minister at the time? And um, in fact, I I duck both ways on that because I I did use Gladstone because everybody would a lot of people recognise the name and know it. On the other hand, I call him the prime minister, which he wouldn't have been called until the term prime minister doesn't come out until about sort of nineteen twelve or something. So, except as a derogatory term a little bit earlier. So he, he would have been the first Lord of the Treasury, but that's a bit of a mouthful. And rather than try and explain or rationalise that, it's, let's just call it the Prime Minister, we'll, we'll fudge that bit of history. But yes, if um, if I'm going to be doing, talking about the development of photography, then um, I, I think, given that is something real, I'm duty-bound to get it as correct as I can. Uh, whereas if I'm talking about the um, the Damnation Club, then because I invented that, I can, I can do what I like <laughs> with it. But I... But equally, I want to make it seem every bit as real as the history that surrounds it. Absolutely. Okay, a uh, slightly more
0: silly question now, but a good one, I think. Um, if there's one piece in the British Museum that you'd tell everyone to go and see, what would it be?
1: Ooh. Well, can I have two? Uh, so, you, yep, have to, you You sort of have to go and see a mummy absolutely. when you go to the British Museum, because everybody knows there's the Egyptian room, or rooms. And, uh, and you need to see a mummy. Um, the, the one piece really I think that you need to see, and uh, and it's downstairs and quite near the entrance, is the Rosetta Stone. Oh absolutely. Partly because it's so integral to our understanding of the past and also because if you love a mystery or code breaking or any of those things then here is something that that um, that, that literally sets that that story in stone. Excellent. Well you've said that um,
0: it's not actually a series but you like to leave some stories open, and I just wanted to know then: Do you think there are going to be any further adventures in store for George, Eddie, and Sir William at the British Museum?
1: Um, I, to be honest, I haven't got anything planned. But equally, I'd be surprised if there aren't. Um, there's there's all sorts of things that they could get involved in, and I'm sure at some point they will. Um, yeah, so we'll have to wait and see. There's, it's a it's a nice nice setup for telling the most <laughs> in, improbable <laughs> stories, which has got to be good. So. Uh, and and I think the Victorian era is just so fascinating, um, partly because of the the sort of the Gothic, smoky, smoky it's mysterious, mysterious, isn't it? mysterious aspects, but also the um, the stage that technology, not just photography for for this book, but but you know steam technology and, and the emergence of electricity and, and that sort of thing, and, and cinema as well. All those things are coming to a head, and you know the the British Victorians had powered flight. Mm-hmm people tend not to know that and think and it's the, think it's the Wright brothers <laughs> who invented it which they did they were the first people to you know fly an aeroplane for one, but okay. um, outdoors but you know the, the Victorians experimented with the uh, powered flight in huge hangars and things uh, 20 30 40 years before that so there's lots of stories there possibly oh, <laughs> hundreds yes the, the, the problem is there's too many stories isn't
0: it <laughs> okay well that's been brilliant um, Justin, and thanks ever so much well thank
1: you